and welcome to Help Query, a podcast where we cover the full spectrum of well-being from doctors to dominatrixes. We delve into the many realms of mental, physical, sexual, emotional, and spiritual health. My name is Allison Schulte, and I have been integrating mind, body, sex, and spirit for over 25 years in medical, academic, nonprofit, and community spaces. I am a sex witch and the CEO for Pelvic Sanctuary, which is a Los Angeles-based nonprofit dedicated to pelvic health education focused on the needs of LGBTQIA populations. And we do this through virtual and in-person workshops, classes, and training programs. You can learn more about that or support our work at pelvicsanctuary.org. I'm really excited about today's episode because I am interviewing Song Riddle. He is an amazing animator and oil painter and also a writer. And he's taught me so much about Tourette syndrome. We dated for three, almost four years and all through the pandemic. So I wanted to interview Song today so he could share his experience of living with Tourette's, specifically as a black man. The intersectionality of all of our identities can be so consequential in our lived experiences. And my conversation with Song really highlights this. Kimberly Crenshaw, the civil rights activist who is credited with developing the concept of intersectionality, proposed that understanding people's overlapping identities and experiences help us better understand the complexities of the prejudices they face. And Song has had to deal with many of those. And as Song is so much more than that, we also talk about his amazing art, his artsy family origins. He is the grandson of J.T. Riddle, which uh, my jaw dropped when we were on our first date and he told me that. I would definitely look up John T. Riddle, who worked closely with Noah Perifroy. If you're interested in Black American art history, specifically Los Angeles-based. And we also talk about his early experiences in the punk scene. He started off in L.A., lived in New York, and then lived in London for a long time. We actually met at a queer-run punk art space called Lethal Amounts. I want to give a shout-out to them because they're awesome. And yeah, we started talking about the band Nausea, and that's kind of where our connection began. And a couple notes before that episode starts, Song has audio ticks due to the Tourette's, and I did not edit those out because fuck that. And also we talk about substances that he's found helpful in curbing his Tourette's temporarily at different times. We both agree that the Tai Chi and meditation is a better option. So I just want to be clear that this conversation, nor should anything on this podcast, be interpreted as medical guidance. You should always talk to your healthcare provider if you have Tourette's about treatments. All right, that's all from me. And now we're going to talk to Sung. You're my ex-boyfriend as of recent. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting to be interviewing you. You <laughs> already know the answers. <laughs> I know, but it doesn't feel weird. I don't know. We've been texting all the time because we had a very loving and supportive breakup. I'm thinking about like when I first met you and like how I didn't really know much about Tourette's because most people don't. And it was just the information I was getting from you was super interesting. So 
maybe to start just explaining what Tourette's is. And you told me some really interesting stuff about like one of the main primary researchers of it and like his information being lost, I believe. Let's start there. Okay, so I'm always a little reluctant to say his name because I know my pronunciation is wrong, but he was a a, a Belgian guy and his name was a uh, George, I think I want to say Gilles, like G-I-L-L-E, uh, de la Tourette. He identified uh, the condition at some point in the late 1800s. Um, he had been doing a lot of, he was a, essentially like a, a, a psychologist of the time uh, who was pretty popular, you know, like from what I understand, um, Freud was kind of a fan of his and would often be seen at his lectures and stuff. But um, he did a lot of work with hypnosis, which was kind of new at the time. And there was a woman who was a patient of his that in some sort of manic episode had come to the conclusion that, that the hypnotherapy that he'd used on her had caused her to become like manic depressive or something. You know, and so in, in an act of retribution, she went to his office one day and she shot him in the head. He didn't die, you know, because like of the nature of the weapons they were using at the time. It's not like, you know, like she had a 44 Magnum or something or a Glock, you know, she it was a low caliber weapon. And, uh, you know, after probably I would assume a hospitalization, uh, there, there began a trial and the trial was uh the trial like you know if you could imagine something akin to like oj's trial of the time you know it was considered sort of the trial of the century of that time because what they were what they were trying was they were trying one the relatively new practice of psychology but also hypnosis uh as a means of treating people um, and that came about as a result of a result of what had happened to him when when she attacked him. Uh, toward the end of that, I think what happened was, you know, and I a lot of the stuff. I, there's been a time where I researched more of it, and I had it more kind of like a lot of the details. Sort of, you know, I could just spout them out offhand. Now I'm sort of giving generalizations. Uh, you know, of course, anybody who's interested in this, read about it and don't just listen to me because it is actually pretty interesting, I think. So part of what happened as a result of that in that trial was that he was sort of raked through the coals by the by the press. You know, how the media treat people when they've decided somebody's guilty of something already, you know, and then the, the people read it and they're like, you know. So by the end of that, him... And his mentor, whose name I can't remember, I, I, he had like a guy who was sort of like his, his mentor that was kind of discredited. And I think he went through a lot of dis, you know, discredit, discreditation, discreditment. What's the proper conjugation of that? I don't know. But uh, you're better at that than me. So I, you're asking the wrong person. Yeah. And that was. That wasn't actually the end of it. So, you know, going through all of that with the sort of having been attacked and then going through the sort of the attack on his sort of like morale and, and stuff, you know, he 
I guess wound up in sort of a depression, which got worse when he realized that a lot of this the sort of things that he was going through, things he was seeing himself going through mentally and also eventually physically were things that he had noticed in patients that he had treated before uh, as symptoms of syphilis. And so he got syphilis, <laughs> which also sort of drove him mad. And at one point, under the guise of, of, because he hadn't been treating anybody for a long time, under the sort of guise of like, being presented with a new patient that only he could help his friends took him to see them and they actually tricked him into uh being institutionalized they took him to an institution where he was kept for the rest of his life until he died and so i think he died in like i think it was 1905 when he died when he dies all of the sort of research that he had done had been lost essentially for about 70 years Right. And in, I'm going to say 1976, there's a guy, a doctor called Shapiro, who came to realize that some of these symptoms that they were seeing in people had actually been identified before in some lost research that this guy did, you know, nearly a century ago and wrote a long paper about it. And that's when people first start to uh, understand that this is a thing. That's when Tourette syndrome enters back into the sort of scientific consciousness is 1976. For me, that is uh, significant because I was born in 1975. And so by the time the symptoms had started to manifest in me in early or late childhood, rather, I would say it had only been about eight years or so since, you know, this came out. You know, eight years that anybody had even been thinking about this. So really nobody knew what was going on, like at all. So it's it's interesting now because it's, you know, it's well known enough that like, you know, you look at somebody like Billie Eilish, for instance, who's like, you know, an international pop star who's been very open about having Tourette syndrome. Somebody like that, even while I know it's frustrating because it's a frustrating life for all of us, would have been young enough or young enough, late enough that when it started with her, people knew what it was and knew how to sort of like deal with it and deal with what was going on and, you know, address it and everything. Whereas, you know, when I was young, nobody did at all. <laughs> but yeah, so there's like support for support for young people now. It's often looked at as like a, a childhood condition. For a lot of people, it goes away in their early 20s. How old were you when it manifested? I was about eight years old. Eight years old. Yeah, when it first started. And then I got my diagnosis when I was 14. And so I want to know, or I want to ask two things. Like, was it, like, how did it first present? And then could you also talk about, like, how, what was really interesting to me was when you told me all the different ways it can present in the body. Like, most people assume that it's, like, you know, the stereotype is that people like swear uncontrollably and th say things they don't mean to say, which I know is true for some people, but it's not always the case. And then, of course, like the body ticks. But I know it can be like you explained to me how it's more like like an impulse that has to be kind of released in your body and that can ma manifest a lot of different ways. So could you talk about how that started for you and like how it progressed and then like maybe some of the other variations you've seen in the community 
because I, I really thought the story you told me about going to, it was like a, a group event for people with Tourette's and I'll let you tell that story, but that was an interesting story for me. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So the thing that you're, the, the swearing that's called coprolalia, that's the name for of it, which translates the feces mouth, <laughs> essentially from Latin. Yeah. Copro is always crap, right? Like coprophages eat crap. And lol, lol, yeah, has to do with speech. So, yeah. Uh, or the, maybe the tongue. I don't, I don't know what the fuck a coprophage is. He's a cock. <laughs> a coprophage is thing that eats shit, essentially. Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, coprolalia, which has been stereo, it's been turned into the stereotype people that swear uncontrollably. It's, it's really uncommon. Uh, coprolalia affects less than like 1% of the people with Tourette's syndrome. It's very, very rare. But because it's so sensational, it winds up getting, you know, it gets, gets all the attention. For me, it started with blinking. Well, okay, so that's not completely true. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, physically, it started with blinking, which I uh, then moved on to doing, I guess, like the opposite of it, which was like widening my eyes and, you know, making a lot of faces, uh, smiling, opening my mouth, that sort of thing. I don't know if you can see this thing, like my scalp moving like that. That's the thing I do. That's a little more people don't always realize that's happening. Um, I'm trying, I'm sitting here trying to see if I can move my scalp and I actually can't. Yeah, I've not met a lot of people that could do that. It started off with those things, but I think that in retrospect, it actually started off with something that's called echolalia. And that is the desire to repeat things that you've heard. You know, and so I'm one of a verbal tick that doesn't necessarily read as such. You know, it's not recognizable, I think, as easily. It took years for me to realize that that was something that I did. Um, and looking back, I realized that that's actually probably the first thing that I can remember doing. You know, and so that'll be stuff like <laughs> I um, <laughs> I do this a lot with myself. Like if I say, especially if I'm alone, I don't really do it if other people are around, but if like I say something, like I want to say it repeatedly over and over again, you know, and, or like in, with different inflections, things like that. Or like if, uh, yeah, it's like a, you know, sometimes if I'm, if I'm watching a movie or something like that and somebody says something in the movie, I'll want to repeat that thing that the person says in the movie. Not, not shocking, but it's definitely there. Uh, and I think I have a lot more control over it when nobody, when, when other people are around. It's not something that I do a lot unless I'm by myself. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of stuff. I mean, you can see stuff. I don't, I don't know if it's how much I need to describe <laughs> because I'm doing it. Uh, well, this will be an audio yeah. format. So just, yeah, for the audio listeners. Yeah, it's a lot of body ticks, a lot of like ab flexing, which kind of comes off as me jumping, like my whole body jumping. But what I'm doing is I'm I'm flexing flexing my abs or pushing my abdomen. You know, like if you imagine the thing that you're not supposed to do when you poop, <laughs> like when you push. Right. 
that's that's what I'm doing con- like constantly. Yeah, it's so bad for your pelvic floor, like that bracing down. Like, and I remember you were doing like some cognitive. Could you talk a little bit about like the cognitive behavioral therapy you're trying to where? Because like you were, there's certain ticks that are harder on your body than others, and you were working with somebody about kind of like it was so interesting to me that like there could be an option to maybe like try to transfer the release to a different movement. Is yes. my understanding correctly? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the idea is that in, instead of, you know, cause it has to happen anyway, but instead of it being, you know, for instance, like that thing, the full body tick that I was just describing or jumping, I jump a lot, which causes all types of problems, you know, like, like I always try and keep my floor clean of debris because like if I if I jump and I land on something that's there, I could really hurt myself. Like like I jumped mm-hmm. on a claw hammer once and you know <gasps> back of my foot and had to go get a tetanus shot and it was just a blood. Oh my god. Or like the thing like I grind my teeth and I mean, you know, my teeth are all busted out and stuff, like broken. They're all broken. <laughs> but, yeah, so um so yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that that's really harmful. And so, what you want to do, I guess, is you want to try and try and habitualize other movements um, when you feel stuff happening, so that those those movements can at least sort of like replace the ones that are there that are harming you. The hard thing about it is that a lot of this stuff is complex. They're like complex ticks, so it's not like you just do one it's that one leads to other ones which lead to other ones and then you're in this gigantic cycle of of ticking that is really hard to break out of and unless you're unless you're like in a, a like some sort of like meditative state which you know you just can't be most of the time it it's almost impossible to know when they're coming and so <laughs> You know, it's it's just like as natural as a blink, as blinking your eyes or something, you know, <laughs> it's sort of instantaneous. And so, and so what happens is, in, at least in my experience, is that I'm, what I'm actually trying to do is, is to use those cognitive behavioral tricks to break out of the cycle of ticks that I'm in. You know, it, but I essentially I use them to stop the cycle. So like, or like whatever. I won't, I won't say cycle's wrong because that means that it's continuous and cyclical. Cyclical, but it is like a it's like a thread. It's like a thread of ticks, and they're going to stop at some point. You know, but if you can sort of like break it before it continues, then you know sometimes that that can be a little more helpful. And then what you were saying at the convention or whatever you were at that like it was a lot of people with Tourette's and that you could, there was it felt like everybody was setting each other off yeah. more yeah totally yeah we totally feed off each other it's crazy <laughs> every time like every time I'm around other people with Tourette's our, our tics get worse there was a group that I used to go to in New York it was like a <laughs> it's like a uh, you know the the Tourette's Association of America, which regrettably had to change its name from the Tourette's 
Syndrome Association because of the stupid Travel Security Administration having taken the name TSA after 2002. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I always laugh. I probably told you this. I always laugh that there was there was a point where both were called the TSA. And so it was like I had a group that was advocating for me. And then I had a group that treated me like shit every time I wanted to fly because of the thing the other group was advocating for. It was like, like, no, it's okay. You have Tourette's. Hey, what are you on? Right? Those were the you don't get to fly. <laughs> and like, what were some of the other ways you saw it manifesting in other people? Yeah, I mean, it's it's different for everyone. You know, we're sort of, I think we all kind of find our own ticks in life. We find the, our own things that satisfy that satisfy us, the thing that we need to do to get that thing out, you know? And so it's just, it's, everybody finds different ones, you know, like, I don't know. I know that I was telling you one time, there was a guy that I knew who his thing was, he had to like touch people, right? It was like, almost like he had a compulsion to invade other people's space, you know? So like, if he was talking to somebody, he would like tap them on the shoulder or something like that, or like, you know, like touch their foot with his foot. Which, you know, like stuff like that can be really, if you're talking to the wrong person and they misunderstand you, it could it could set you up for terrible things to happen to you, you know? Yeah. I'm sure you have a million stories, but like I'm, I've, the intersection of like racism and being a black man and then presenting with Tourette's and these tics, I mean, you've got like a double whammy. <laughs> Do you want to share some about your, how you've navigated that and like, how, how have your experiences been like navigating the world as a black man with Tourette's and like, what have, what have been some of the challenges? Do you feel like you have less access to services or anything like that? Yeah. It's hard to say, it's hard to say how many things are, it's, it's difficult to say how much of, you know, people don't, people don't always say what's bothering them, you know? In fact, most of the time, it's a liability if you just come out and say that you have a problem with somebody for some reason. Like if somebody's like, I have a problem with you because you're black, like that's definitely a lawsuit. If someone says I have a problem with you because you have Tourette's and they know that it's Tourette's, that's also a problem. But most people don't know that's what it is. And so what they assume is that I'm, you know, usually that I'm high on something. Yeah, you know, so... Uh, I don't generally get like, if if anyone knows it's Tourette's syndrome, it's fine, right? Like somebody's always going to be like, no, no, it's okay. He's got Tourette's syndrome. They notice it or whatever. But uh, the problems that I have are when people don't know that's what it is. It's it's really hard to say where their their problem with how I'm behaving intersects with their problem with me being black. You know, like I, it's just. I just don't know. I mean, I I can say specific things to both of them, definitely. You know, like I like I can remember the first time in my life that I was walking down the street and a white woman clutched her purse as I walked by. You know, like like I remember the first time that ever happened to me, and I was just like, like I was going to the store to buy a model airplane. Of course, you were. <laughs> you know, I was a little kid. It was just like to me, it was just like, like okay, that's that's like the world that I live in, right? Like that's what I have to deal with. 
forever now, you know? So it's stuff like, you know, like if I, if I go to a, a store and I'm looking for something and they don't have the thing in the store while I'm leaving the store, I'm constantly going through in my head explanations for when they ask me why I'm leaving without buying anything, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Um, so some of it is like, you know, learned and some of it's not there, but you know, it, it is definitely like, there's some level of trauma from it. And I think from both of those things, you know, like, like I can, okay, this, this might be a thing where it was both of them. When I was about 15, I had an appointment with a neurologist somewhere in Santa Monica. So, you know, it was snooty, this office, you know, and I was waiting to be seen and the security guard approached me and told me that I was making the other people there uncomfortable and that I would have to leave. <laughs> and so that's like, okay, like it's a neurologist office. So I would have to assume that maybe they knew or were used to something, you know, like people behaving with, you know, like other neurological disorders that might be strange or whatever. But I, as, you know, as an adolescent black male, you do, you do go through a lot of bullshit. You know, that, that probably was a combination of the two, I would think in terms of like, you know, just Tourette syndrome stuff. It, I mean, that's like, that is endless. That's like, you know, I got kicked off a plane once, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I wish that happened more recently. So you could have sued. <laughs> this is actually really frustrating. I, I tried to sue at the time and I went to a lawyer and the lawyer, the lawyer straight up told me it wasn't worth it wasn't worth their time because they wouldn't make enough money off it. They said the amount of money that I had to gain if I won that lawsuit was not enough to pay them for the amount of time that it would take for them to carry out the lawsuit. And you were like a kid going to visit your mom, right? I was 20, I think 26 at the time, <laughs> you know. And someone just complained that you were like apparently numerous people were you already seated and they pulled you out of your seat yep. <laughs> and then they just needed to get off the plane and i had then i again yeah, i had to wait 12 hours for another plane wow yeah um you know other stuff that happens is you know recently i was <laughs> this was a weird one but this is not this is also not uncommon that i was I was at a Goodwill, you know, like, you know, like in, in LA, there's that thing where they, they have a front door to the store, but instead of he, having the front door open, they lock it and then make you go through the alleyway to their, their like parking lot entrance of the store. So yeah, I, for this particular Goodwill, you have to walk like two blocks through an alleyway to get to the inside parking lot but like, you know that's because nobody walks in la except for you yeah, yeah only a nobody walks in la is my favorite line in this song. <laughs> it's just that there's so many things that don't strike me as odd because i'm in a car but if i was on foot i'd be like oh yeah, why would you do this <laughs> it's like you're, it's like you're antagonizing me like purposely antagonizing me right. you know? then you have to walk all the way back around and then walk like two blocks down the alleyway so anyway, I get into the Goodwill and I'm walking around or whatever, and I don't and I don't see anything that I really want. And so I leave. But there's there's a woman that 
that left before me. And she's like maybe a block ahead of me, you know, we'll say maybe like some, maybe 10 yards ahead of me. Anyway, she's walking ahead of me and, you know, I generally have a thing like if I'm, if I, like if I pass a woman on the street, I usually will like try and look the other way or something because I always feel like, especially if it's at night or something, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to make anybody feel like I'm uncomfortable or whatever, you know? So, and so I'm already like kind of nervous, but I think that because that happened, I wound up making like a loud noise, which is like a kind of, you know, I do like, <laughs> like that. And it sort of echoed and she looked back and then she turned the corner. And as I got to the, as I got to the, to the street out of the alleyway, this guy pulls up to me on a bike and he's like this cholo and he's like he's like yo you disrespecting my homegirl and I was like what <laughs> you know he's like he's like are you disrespecting my homegirl you know and he said like something like my homegirl said that you were you know I don't know doing fucking something I don't know maybe, you know maybe she thought I was cat calling her or something whatever but I you know quickly explained to him i was like no not at all I, i've got tread syndrome and i sometimes just make those noises and stuff and thankfully he was he was like a, a reasonable person you know like he was like oh, okay you know and, and listened to me and and went on his way but i mean that could have gone any direction you know like that could have been like if he was somebody that that thought i was full of shit or if or if he didn't even just bother to ask me like he could have just come up and just socked me in the back of the head or something you know uh, and that, I mean, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Like a few days ago, I was walking down the street and a guy rode, went by me on his skateboard and he kind of bumped into me and slightly apologized, you know, not, a, not enough to show that he actually gave a shit, but, you know, kind of apologized. Uh, you know, he was riding from behind me and hit me from behind and he kept going. And I did that again, like I, a little bit, probably because I was, you know, nervous because that just happened, you know, or I was like stimulated in some way and I made a noise and he got off his skateboard and turned around and picked it up and started coming at me. He was like, yeah, you know, you got a fucking problem. And I was like, no, no, I don't have a problem. You know, it's just me. I just do that sometimes, you know, and he listened and he, he turned around. I think, you know, like, I think ultimately nobody really wants to fight, but somebody, some people are just really crazy and aggressive. I would get nervous. Well, you know, I already just like love to worry and be neurotic, but like it really was amplified when as your girlfriend, like I, I was really freaked out when we were at the psycho festival in Vegas. And like one of your friends called me cause you lost your phone and it was late. And I was like, it was so different than if I had, like with previous boyfriends, because I was like, oh my God, that, like that festival's like hella white. <laughs> and like, and like Vegas is just full of like white, like <laughs> drunk douchebags. And I was just like, I was like nervous because you're black and because of your Tourette's and because you didn't have your phone and because I assumed you'd had some drinks. And I was just like racing through my mind all the ways that you can be, you could be misinterpreted and someone could, you know, get you could end up in a bad situation. And it's like if the parasympathetic nervous system has to be running all the time for you. I mean, like women have that too, to a certain level, we have to be on guard, but, but also, yeah. And then just, I, th I think about like when we first started dating, like 
just like little visits to shops or restaurants or places and just like people like noticing people notice and just really like starting to understand why you don't you're like uh if somebody says bless you or whatever you're because they people sometimes think you're sneezing at first I was like well why don't you tell people and like but then after spending time with you, I realized how exhausting that must be because I noticed people noticing all the time and you've just got to like shut it out and just let it be their problem, yeah. you know, <laughs> unless it's, I mean, you can't just walk into every space you go to and be like, Hey, I have Tourette's just, you know, I'm doing this because I have Tourette's like, Oh, that wasn't a sneeze. It was Tourette's. It's like, yeah, you know, it, it actually happened again, <laughs> happened again recently. I was like, in, and I, this is why I think about this all the time as well. Like what you're saying, like, the exhaustion of trying to having of having to explain yourself all the time, you know, like, so I had a, I had a doctor's appointment up in Silmar a few weeks back and the, I got a, you know, cause I don't drive. I got a lift cause you know, I got a Silmar as far as I'm not going to walk to Silmar. Uh, and my lift driver kicked me out like a mile out from my house. She for, actually first, before she even brought it up, she, while we were driving, she switched the music to the Christian station. So I was like, shit, am I going to have to listen to like Christian talk radio this whole time? You know, it was like a, like a dude talking about, you know, just Christian stuff. And um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, like a mile away from my house, she pulls into the, like the Denny's parking lot and she's like, I'm sorry, I don't feel comfortable driving. And I'm like, you know, I, I tried to explain it to her. I was like, well, you know, I, cause I don't, I don't just get in the car and explain it. If Lyft or Uber had like a section where you could put like about me. Uh, I have Tourette syndrome. Please don't be alarmed. Like I would just put that. And so they could just read it. If they don't want to pick me up because of it, that's fine. Somebody else can come pick me up, you know? But uh, yeah. So she's like, I'm sorry. I don't feel comfortable driving. And I'm like, well, oh yeah, no, I've, I've got Tourette syndrome. I just do that sometimes. I'm okay. And she's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I just don't, I can't. And I, again, I tried to explain it to her and, and, uh, and she wouldn't budge. And so I got out of the car. And then as I was getting out of the car, she's like, have a blessed day. What <laughs> t-shirt were you wearing? It was just so insulting. <laughs> <laughs> what does the swans shirt you have say? <laughs> she says, you fucking people make me sick. <laughs> I don't wear, I don't wear, I don't wear that in very specific situations. I, uh, I probably, usually if I'm going to the doctor, I'll wear like a, a, a really comfortable shirt and that'll be something like i have a shirt a couple of shirts with dr doom on them like marvel comics villain okay. and i wear those to the doctors quite often because they're just Aww. loose and ratty um and they say doctor on them <laughs> i wish <laughs> uh, but yeah so yeah that kind of stuff is crazy and then when you, you, the bus rides up here like a lot of times like well, I guess not just the bus, but that's like people think you're like the cholos would think you're doing the head head nod. That was really funny because, <laughs> yeah, because I do that. And so they'll be like like that as they walk by. But the one that 
I laughed one time because I sometimes I'll do it and it'll be like a really long one. So I'll be walking. And I was like that, you know, like for a while. And when I came back down, this cholo was walking past me and he went. He did like a slow-mo head nod. You're going to start like a new trend, <laughs> like the slow <laughs> head throwback. It was like extra cool. Right. That's what he thought I was doing, I guess. <laughs> so I have to say, like, it blew my mind that it actually turns off when when we would have sex. Like, your Tourette's almost completely went away, which was, I got so, I'm, like, so used to your tics. Like, I don't know. I've just, they, they've, it's just part of you to me. So um, I don't really think about them. And I felt that way pr pretty early on. And I, that might be because I was married to somebody with MS for a couple years and their, they would have like spasms and twitches and things like that. So like I kind of like a, just adjusted to that. And then when we had sex, it just, it you turn like super smooth. smooth? You're smooth in bed. <laughs> For sure. And it, it was, it, 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 it's a weird feeling to just have you like, sh like you almost like shape, shape shift or something. Is that the only time that that happens? And, and when you're sleeping, do you have any theories of why that is? No, I mean, sleeping probably there's no stimulus. I mean, it's, it's better when I'm not being stimulated. Does that mean I'm boring in bed? Uh, you know, no, it doesn't mean that <laughs> I'm saying that. You know, so for instance, I was just in uh, in the Caribbean and it was pretty calm there, you know, it was like <laughs> being in the ocean, being in the ocean, for instance, that always helps. Um, and pools too? Yeah, being in pools is always nice. It's almost like, yeah, I think being in water is almost like I'm not, like I've sort of like cast aside the the, the hindrance of my body, you know, it's like it's. Like, I don't have to carry it around. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. The buoyancy, uh, like, probably changes something neurologically with what you're experiencing, too. Like, the buoyancy and the support of the water, like, taking away gravity. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then with sex, I'm just, like, thinking, I wonder if it has to do, someone should research this. Like, I wonder if it has to do with, like, chemicals and things that are released during arousal like certain endorphins and stuff um yeah maybe yeah i don't know maybe like uh, and then what else what else helps there have been different substances that have helped uh for me you know i i've had a thing with substances for a long time uh oddly when i was about 24 or 25 one of my neurologists told me that I should take up smoking because that helps people. Uh, and so that's when I started smoking. Yeah, which I did for like 20 years. I thought you just did that because we were old punk rockers and we just put shit in our bodies for years. <laughs> and <it really laughs> doctors started you on that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, at the time that I started smoking, I had been, I didn't even have any alcohol for like four or five years. I've been pretty sober. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's another one. Alcohol. Alcohol is great for the first like three drinks. It's like, oh wow, this this is what it must feel like to be, you know, it's what it's like to to be normal, you know. But then 
obviously, you know, three drinks become 20 drinks and that's, that's a problem. It's its own problem, right? Yeah. Ecstasy is great. Mushrooms are great. I always think that they should do some sort of, they should work on the ecstasy thing with Tourette syndrome because that seems to be like, I don't get any kind of hangover, nothing makes them go away. I wonder if some low dose of MDMA, I wonder if that's John Hopkins is who's doing all the MDMA trials, but like, I just, I don't hear anything about stuff being done with Tourette's yet. A psilocybin would be good too. Yeah. This is, yeah. yeah. The main issue is that there's just not enough people that have it to warrant, to warrant research that's expensive. Well, I just <laughs> found know? a statistic that said one in 160 children in the United States between five and 17 have it. Yeah, it's a trip. That's a lot. But I think I think it's also like one of those things, like I think some people maybe don't know they have it or it can be misdiagnosed or they're also not, um, they're they're hiding it because they feel ashamed, but they don't realize what it is. So like there's probably that too. But I wonder if like working with MDMA, yeah. like MDMA and psilocybin, like you can, you can, realign your neuro pathways really like so maybe not as i don't know enough about it to really speak but you know i just like listen to shit loads of psychedelic podcasts and pretend like i know what's going on but i wonder if um i wonder if with like that combined with like the cognitive behavioral techniques could could like work for like um muting some of the tics or uh transforming them if that makes sense like how they how, how they up how yeah. they move through the body like you could find a different way to move them through the body if you were working with psychedelics maybe meditation does that help kind of it, it helps it helps a little bit uh the main thing is that whenever any of this sort of like how would you say this? Like, like sort of temporal things that you do, like meditation or like, you know, I found Tai Chi really helpful or, or even exercise, like working out and stuff like that. It's good while you're doing it and it's good for a little bit after, but it always comes back. You know, like it doesn't, it doesn't like, you know, like I, uh, does it come back stronger? Because when, okay, this was the other thing that was interesting for me to learn was that you, you have the ability to repress it like consciously, but when you do it, it's just built up. So like the release, it all just comes back when that period of time is over. So you kind of pay the price later. Is that true for when you do meditation and things like that? Or does it come back more slowly? Yeah, so it's not quite, it's not the same as suppressing it. Suppressing it is like, you know, if you think about it in like, you know, like your thoughts, like if you have, if you have troublesome thoughts, ignoring them or like forcing yourself not to think them is not helpful, right? Because then you're just blocking it out. But if you have troublesome thoughts, and you work through those thoughts and try to figure out why 
you know, like why you're having them and, and the best way to sort of deal with them emotionally, responsibly, then you can get through them with, and then you don't have to deal with them anymore, right? It would be like the difference, like that kind of difference, right? Like suppressing it is just not doing it until it's time to do it again. You know what I mean? Where stuff like, stuff like meditation or, or, you know, like, like other movement disciplines, you're sort of dealing with it in the moment instead of blocking it out. Unfortunately, it's, it, for me, and, you know, maybe it's different for other people, but for me, it's a temporary, it's a temporary solution. Like if I, there was a point in my life, like in my early twenties, like late teens, when I didn't have to do anything, you know, like I lived in a squat and I didn't have to pay any bills and, you know, I didn't have to work. I didn't, it didn't have any responsibilities. I would, I, all I did was exercise and meditate all day, you know, I, you know, at the time I was trying to model more and so I was, you know, just working out constantly doing crunches and push-ups and, you know, pull-ups and chin-ups or whatever you call them and all that kind of stuff and, and meditating and, and it's, you know, it's good. It's good in the moment, but it's like, you know, a couple hours later, it's just, it's, if I could do that, if I could only do that all the time, maybe, but like, yeah, I used to joke yeah. that we should just be having sex all the time. So your Tourette's would just go away. <laughs> and then, I mean, but it does, I mean, there is value in that restorative period. So if you think of like your body's really taking a beating with those picks, like, like, um, the the bones and the tendons and everything so it's like I think of it as like like there's a difference between like restorative yoga is like wakeful rest so it's just it's it's not the same as like going to sleep so there's like so much value and like being awake and like and and resting and having peace consciously um can we talk about like growing up in punk rock and your Tourette's and also probably being one of the only the black only black kids around we had I mean you were a little bit in LA but I think you left when I was pretty young I mean I had two two black friends in punk rock one was Darius who everybody knows from Hollywood and then like really I can only think of one other person. So. Yeah. I mean, I've known, I've known probably a lot because I traveled a lot, you know? So I knew black punks in Minneapolis and black punks in uh, New York and other black punks, but it was definitely few and far between. It's very, again, that's another one of those things. It's just different now. I see black punks all the time now. Yeah, we're talking like early, mid-90s punk and like living in real punk houses and squats. Like, and how was that as, like, how were you treated with your Tourette's in that space? Do you feel like people are more accepting and... Yeah, nobody ever really made a big deal out of it, honestly. (laughs) Um, For the most part, people didn't. It was very accepting in that way, you know. Uh, in, in fact, I probably got more shit from other punks for being black than I did for having Tourette's syndrome. It was always, you know, where where you did have, 
that sort of, you know, politically, it was definitely very forward at that time. But you still had people, a lot of people around that came from pretty stupid backgrounds that carried some of that stuff through, you know, like, I actually remember, I remember one time, oh, God, I just didn't even want to bring it up. There's so much of it. <laughs> I was just thinking this one time, actually, when I was in England, because I'd lived in England for a little while, there was this guy who used to hang around, older punk, you know, like, probably at this point, I would say in 2003 or four, he was probably, like, in his late 30s, you know, so he'd been around for a while, but... He came, I, you know, I was just up late drawing one night and I lived in a punk house there and there were just people that came by at all hours of the night and people were always partying and stuff. This one night, it was just me. I was sitting up late drawing and he came up, he came in drunk and started telling me about the difference between black people and niggers. And I was like, okay, you know, okay. But that's not, I mean, that's not even that uncommon. Like I've heard all types of shit like that over over the course of my lifetime. The you're different conversation, you know? Yeah, but you're different, you're not really black. Like that kind of thing. I mean, when I met you, you made fun of yourself. You're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm into like all like nerdy white guy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not completely yeah. true, but I do say, yeah, it, I do say that. You know, I read comic books and play Dungeons and Dragons and listen to heavy metal and that kind of stuff. But yeah, that just like dismissal of like, I can say, whatever I want. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other black people is what they're trying to say. Yeah. I mean, I used to, when I was in Minneapolis, somehow or another, there was this group of like, there's this group of skinheads that you hang around all the time. And, and that's a whole other relationship, the relationship with skinheads. To this day, I, I don't understand why skinheads were ever around punk rockers at all. Anyway, that's like a completely ideological mismatch, you know, uh, for some reason, punks and skins were supposed to unite. Go figure, uh, you know, and even even the ones that are like that were like you know anti-racist were still like you know nationalistic or something, you know. It's still like a weird, just a weird match, you know. Yeah, like a lot of macho dude yeah. shit too. Yeah, yeah, but so like there was this group of skinheads that used to hang around, and uh, you know they were like the local sort of anti-racist skinheads in the area, but they would always refer to they would refer to black people as boogers, you know, that was like, that was their thing. It was like, Oh, we're not racist. You know, we're not going to use the N word, but we're like, we just say boogers like affectionately. And it's like, well, no, you're still like, you know, you're still like othering the othering black people in like a really weird pejorative way. You know? <laughs> just thinking about DH now too. I'm so sad to lose him. Because he, he was probably, one, I assume, really important representation for you. Yeah, DH and, you know, I was never a huge Bad Brains fan, but obviously Bad Brains were there. And so that was like, you know, it's you can point to that and say like, no, but look, I mean, there's like, there's like foundational black people in punk rock. I mean, polystyrene, for instance, you know, from X-Ray Specs was black. That's uh, Somalian, right? So um, it's not like we weren't there. And for that matter, some of the stuff that like that was like ultra important foundational within hardcore and punk was done by black people, you know. So it was weird to have that kind of presence around. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying it was everybody. It's not like not not even certainly most people, you know. Not even 
really a small fraction. But again, the reason I brought it up was to say that I got more shit for being black than I did for having Tourette syndrome, which is. No, I remember feeling that vibe like, yeah. When I was younger, just being like, we were like, we're all super PC, like food, not bombs. But then like people would say ableist and and racist stuff you know, racist light or whatever you want to call it. Like that wasn't super blatant, but you know, micro microaggressions. Yeah. We've been talking about that in the belly dance community as well. We're doing a dance that's not from our culture here in the United States. And that's like, and I, and I'd hear people say like derogatory things about Romani people and use people are using terms like gypsy still and like refusing to let them go from like their titles or their marketing or their branding. And it's yeah. the only other thing we didn't talk about was like your art. You are an amazing artist and painter and animator. And it's really, it was really interesting. That was one of the things that I was so interested in when I met you was your, your talent as an artist, but also thinking, wow, like, like how do you do these paintings? And then your body is like ticking and, um, it just, it seems like the last thing I would expect somebody with body tics to excel at because you're, you're so careful and like detailed and patient and, and how you make things. And I noticed this because it's so opposite of my own nature. So I like really admire that about your skill. How did you start drawing and discover art and how does that relate to your Tourette's and, and. I know you were doing, you do a portrait of yourself every year on your birthday, um, which I thought was also really cool. Thank you for reminding me. I didn't do one last year. <laughs> uh, I've been drawing since I could hold a pencil. It's just, I've always drawn. I've got drawings that I've done from like the age of two still hanging around. You know, uh, I had an artistic family as well. So I was always around artists. Um, my grandfather specifically was somebody of note who has art all over the place. John Riddle, John Thomas Riddle was his name. Um, yeah. And so I just, I grew up around art and artists and making art and stuff. Uh, you know, I was an only child. I spent a lot of time by myself. So that was always just a good way of entertaining myself <laughs> sitting there and drawing um i don't think that it was something that was ever going to go away uh i think that you know in conjunction with tourette syndrome it it becomes sort of one of those meditative things that we were talking about before where while i'm working uh i'm a little bit more aware of what my body is doing because my focus is more singular, you know? Um, so I can always tell when I'm about to do something and then I just kind of pull away and do that. It's the same with driving. Like if I, you know, the times that I have driven in my life, like I don't tick at all while I'm driving. Um, and I, you know, it all comes out when I'm at the stoplight. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I know, like, I, I'm more, 
you know, in a sense, more relaxed because, you know, that kind of focus is its own sort of meditation. Yeah, you're in your flow state. And so, yeah, then I kind of wind up pulling away and doing a bunch of stuff. Sometimes it gets really bad. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes I'll, you know, have stuff happen where I break, break pencils or like, you know, like if I'm like drawing or pressing too hard, breaking, break the lead on the, on the page. And then I wind up with a big dent in my page or, you know, a big scratch somewhere that I didn't want. Or, you know, like when I do animation, I work on a Cintiq, which is a, an interactive display, like a tablet that you can draw on. And I, the styluses that you use, I break them constantly. I have to replace them. I mean, like people, people get one Cintiq and then have like a stylus for the entire life of the thing, which will be like five or six years or something. For me, I go through like three or four of them a year and um, they just don't build them to, to withstand the pressure. Like while I'm drawing, I do this, you know, and eventually the tips just break or, you know, the, the nib gets driven so far inside that it, it never stops registering as being pressed. So I just get constant lines where I don't want them and stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's another one. That's another thing that I think that people don't really think about is that it's actually, it's actually an expensive thing to have. And I think that people with, people with disabilities often can struggle with financial issues that are not specifically related to, you know, an inability to find work or something like that. But just the fact that upkeep you know, for just regular things that people take for granted is a lot more expensive, you know, like, yeah, you know, those things are like 80 bucks a piece. So like to go through four of them a year, it's like, well, I've just, I've just blown like, what is that? Like $320 on something that I could have had for like, like per year on something that should last me like five years. Right. Reach out if you'd like to send song a stylus, I will handle it. Like to send gift song styluses, let me know. Yeah, that and your your freaking dental bills. And I mean, that's medical, but uh, like you're talking about just it's driving is an issue. So you spend more on public transportation. and Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But sometimes I actually, depending on what it is that I'm working on, sometimes I allow myself to work the ticks into the paintings that I'm doing. You know, sometimes this sort of energy of that is more interesting and I just kind of let it go. Yeah, um, I can see that. Depends on the kind of Yeah. I can totally see that. There was a point, this is kind of funny, uh, there was a point where, so I have a, I have a wound inside my nose that never heals. <laughs> it's been there since 1996. I, uh. I, my nose was dry and I, I do this a lot and it's split. And then it's just one of those things. Like if I get a split lip, it takes so long for it to heal because I'm constantly doing that and breaking it back open again. But this thing never, ever heals. Uh, and for a long time, for years, it bled. Like it just bled all the time. And so there's a period, I would say, between about 1996 and maybe like 2006 where like, all of my paintings have blood. <laughs> That's cool. I like that actually. <laughs> did you just like let it, did you like mix it into the paint or did you let it? No, it was actually kind of frustrating. Because, <laughs> you know, especially then I was doing more illustration, you know, and so it's like clients want something that's, 
a specific way. It's like, damn, how am I going to like, I have to like clean this off without wearing the paint down or like, you know, painting on top of it and hoping it doesn't come through. And, you know, it's just all this, it's annoying. Really witchy. That's what Ron Eby made himself famous doing blood painting. Where can people see your art and your animation? Oh, wow. I'm so bad about this. I mean, I have an Instagram page. It's uh, <laughs> my Instagram is, it's my name, uh, S-O-N-G-E underscore R-I-D-D-L-E. There's another one that's S-O-N-G-E R-I-D-D-L-E underscore underscore. Don't follow that one. That's not mine. But the one that is my name, S-O-N-G-E underscore R-I-D-D-L-E is me. Also, uh, I have a website, songriddle.com. That's got some art on it, but it's a lot of the same stuff. I do some animation. If you ever watch Sherman Showcase, which unfortunately got canceled, and I'm sad. There's, yeah, I did animation on Sherman Showcase on IFC. And you can watch it on Hulu, too. Yeah, but you can watch on Hulu. Some stuff coming up, which should be fun. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been working on a intermittently working on some animation for a documentary about the butthole surfers. And um, let's see what else is out there. I don't even know. I, I mean, I, God, I've been working for, been working for professionally for 25 years about at this point, you know? So, I mean, if you, if you do a Google search for me, you'll find me <laughs> one of the easiest people on the planet to find. <laughs> and are you doing, do you take commission for paintings? I do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. $3,000 per painting. Okay. <laughs> I'm joking. No, you should <laughs> charge $3,000 a painting. They're really good. Like, I think you should do goth pet portraits. Like, <laughs> that would be pretty fun. <laughs> I, would, I think I would enjoy that. Yeah. I could see also like famous goth people getting their pets painted by you <laughs> or something. I would really enjoy that. There was a long time where I was the animal guy. You know, I was uh, doing book covers and somehow or another got pigeonholed as the guy who like painted animals for the book covers. I don't know, but I do like animals. They're fun. <laughs> do you want to um, wrap it up and I'll grab a cat for you to look at? You want to see Tom? Sure. Okay. Tong, <laughs> I'm going to hit in recording and uh, okay. go grab uh, whichever cat I find first. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Health Query. And I am serious, y'all. If you want to send Song a stylist, you totally should. His contact info is in the show notes if you need details about what he needs. I've seen firsthand how hard he works and how many obstacles Tourette's can create. And I just feel like artists, we struggle enough as is and we deserve support. So I also commissioned him to do a oil painting of me and my two valiant Norwegian forest cats after the show because I realized I was promoting him and I wanted my pet portrait first. Speaking of support, I just want to remind you that my nonprofit organization, Pelvic Sanctuary, which is dedicated to sexual and pelvic health for LGBTQIA plus folks, is accepting tax-deductible donations. If you'd like to support us, you can go to pelvicsanctuary.org. And this podcast you're listening to is actually a sponsor of Pelvic Sanctuary. If you would like to be a sponsor, we have opened up some 
some sponsorship opportunities. There's a link on the website and you can learn more about that there as well. That's another great way to support us and get a tax deduction. Yay. All right. Till next time. 